Welcome to the Vantage Point with your host, Tony Sherman. Hey everyone, Anthony Sherman here. Welcome to the Vantage Point Podcast. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. The Vantage Point Podcast is brought to you by Vantage Tactical Solutions, a safety and awareness training company. Each week we will discuss topics relating to your overall safety and well-being. Feel free to add our podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes, as well as follow us on Facebook at Vantage Tactical. Welcome, everyone. My name is Tony Sherman with the Vantage Point Podcast. I am here today uh, with Dave Young of Vistalar and Armored Training. Hello, Dave. Hello, Tony. How are you? Good. I want to thank you for being here. And um, as we discuss more about, we're at the 2022 United States Concealed Carry Expo here in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Dave, you've been doing the training for the USCCA Expos for the past six, seven years? Yeah, eight, actually. Eight. Um, you know, we did their first one in West Bend, Indiana. Uh, we taught how to protect your handgun and your handgun retention, skill building, and how to win a gunfight. And that has grown to usually we're sold out, you know, a couple of weeks after the mm-hmm. conference for next year, which has always been a blessing. And then we added two new programs this year. One was our active shooter program that's pretty uh, aggressive for personal survival. And then the uh, second one we added was family education on how do you mm-hmm. talk to your kids and, and family when you have guns in the home, how do you make sure that nobody gets hurt? What age do you start? Stuff like that. Okay. Um, some of the programs that uh, I know that they're sold out for you know, we, we finish up one, and I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, being at six conferences with you, five or six conferences with you now, um, training and uh, as, a, as a part of Vistler team, an armored train team. Um, the amount of feedback that we get from all the students, and even walking by as we're walking around in the expo, looking at all the vendors, which they have amazing vendors here, and they stop us and talk to us how, how awesome the classes were. Um, I think people need to really understand who Dave Young is and your background and where uh, your programs have developed from. Tell us a little bit about who you are and and your background. Sure, Tony. I'd be glad to. You know, first of all, I'd like to start out by I I know I'm blessed, Uh, not only from God, but also I've surrounded myself with some great trainers. I've had some great mentors. Uh, Gary Klugowitz from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, has been not only one of my biggest mentors in my life, but has exposed me to a lot of different ways of delivering training. And then through my Marine Corps background, you know, I started out as a corrections officer, a police officer, went in the Marine Corps at 25. Uh, after my active duty status of almost 10 years, I, I ended up going into the reserves. I've had several deployments. I've had the ability to work with some really quality people that takes the time to you know, teach you, educate you, and motivate you to do better rather than make you feel so bad about what you did. And I think that all contributes to the delivery, the material, the training, and the classes. Now, normally you, you don't train civilians. It's pretty much law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and, and, these, and these special skills that we're teaching here at the USCCA. Um, let's talk about the reason behind that. Yeah, you know, um, you know, when you train people, you take some responsibility. Uh, they come to your classroom with their own baggage. Uh, there's really not a good screening and a vetting process. You really want to make sure the people you're training are... Are, are not felons, they didn't serve time, uh, that they're legally able to carry a firearm. So what we did was we decided to step back and you know, U.S. Concealed Carry, which is why we partnered with them, they do such a great job running the basic class. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of basic programs in addition to marksmanship training, firearms training. 
But all the training we do, uh, preparing the guys on Fort Bragg and your military units to go into real combat, we get real-time information when they come back. So we wanted to make sure that we kept the military, police, security, correctional training. The students are pretty much vetted when they come in the class. They have a goal. They're backed and licensed by the state, the security companies that we train. And we're training people to real, win real gunfights. We're teaching them how to use non-escalation, de-escalation tactics to avoid it. Unfortunately, a lot of civilians don't believe that they need that type of training. They think if they just pay 40, 50 bucks, they go to a class, four or five hours, they're a U.S. citizen, that's their right, they get to carry a firearm, but they forget that they're actually, they need to be a responsible firearms mm -hmm. owner. Just because you own a concealed carry permit, you know, you might view yourself as John Wick, but you're probably actually Barney Fife when it comes to a lot of your skills. True. And, and we tell people all the time that you're obligated to practice now. And most people don't know where to practice. They don't know how to practice. So when we come to the conferences, we develop specific training programs. No matter where you got your concealed carry permit, you can take these current skills and make yourself better at home. Because we always say, you know, train without practice is a fool's bet. So that's why we're here. And that's why we develop these programs to really focus on, you know, they call it responsible citizens. I think something like that. We call it responsible firearms owner. That means you're obligated to get training seek references, and then everything you watch on YouTube or TikTok is real. It is very real. You know, we talk about RFOs, Responsible Firearm Owners. You know, people go get their concealed carry training. A lot of times they don't even go through the training because some states allow them to get the permit based upon hunter safety course or prior firearms training they may have had. But deadly force decision making is a major and a real concept. And I know Sean earlier today uh, talked about, um, or yesterday he talked about, when you elect to carry a firearm, you, you're doing so, there's a great responsibility. That responsibility means continued training. You say, train without practice is a fool's bet. I have that on the slogan as a quote of yours on my webpage for my trainings, training uh, company, and it's important. I tell people when they go through our concealed carry program, this isn't the end of your training. You need to continue every single month, every single week. Go to the range um, as often as you can. Uh, live fire is great. It's the dry fire skills, it's the repetitive drawing techniques um, from different, from a standing position, a prone position, a kneeling position, a seated position, because you're gonna find yourself in, in scenarios. You talk about in our firearms training, um, when you go to a range, you're in the perfect condition. Talk a little bit about that, the real world of a gunfight. You know, when you go to the range, we always say that's only gonna help you with marksmanship training. Mm -hmm. You're not drawing from the holster, you're not moving, you're not verbalizing, you're not taking all the other variables as environment, climate, uh, people in the area. If you have seven, seven people in a room and one draws a weapon, you know, you get in trouble when you shoot the other six by accident. And unfortunately, most people don't maintain the regular skill level to win a real gunfight. So mm -hmm. most people that carry a firearm, we see they carry it for that emotional safety. It's like the, your child that can't sleep in the dark, you give them a teddy bear. They feel that they have it on them, they're safe. When in reality, there's a lot of walking minefields out here. Mm -hmm. So regardless on what organization you're with, if you don't practice these skills until you can't get them wrong, that's really the difference between an amateur and a professional. Your life depends on that performance. If you're with your wife, she expects you to keep her safe. When you're with your kids, they're gonna expect to keep you to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And we have found that watching situations occur that a lot of people carry a firearm, they start fights verbally. They talk to people disrespectful, they're rude, they're not kind, they're not courteous. 
So their mouth writes them a check that their body can't cash, nor do their skill level is in a place where it'll keep them safe. So you gotta find a way of practicing every week. And so our training is really focused on giving you the skills to go back and practice, rather than say, practice for an hour. Well, what? We have drawing drills, in the holster, out of the holster. Understanding the difference between range safety and combat safety. Trigger manipulation, the basic fundamentals of marksmanship shooting and how do you apply that when you go to the gun range. Making sure that they understand that drawing your firearm, oh gosh, think about it. You can be the most accurate shot in the world and if you can't get that weapon out when your life depends on it the most, you're gonna die like everybody else. Exactly, exactly. You wrote a book, How to Defend Your Family and Home. Um, it's a, I read that book and to me, I thought it was eye-opening. And you, you've interviewed a lot of people, you had experiences, but what gave you the idea of, to, to write that book? Well, I actually got approached by a Streetwise Publishing and they said, um, we were reading some of your stuff on Active Shooter, it seemed pretty real. Um, would you consider writing a book for you know, how to defend your family and home? And I thought about it. I have a lot of stuff going on. I don't want to commit unless I can really dedicate. So I initially told them no. Then about six months later, they said, hey, what if we had gave you help? We could help you with the research. Because I wanted to make sure I talked to survivors of the family, people who didn't survive home invasions, and find out what they all had in common. So we interviewed about 100 people. The common failure for most home invasions, they didn't have a plan. They tried to hide in the house instead of get out of the house. They had weapons in the house, didn't train how to get to those weapons. That it was so chaotic that they weren't thinking about all the things they could do to have a deterrent. You know, there's a, a bad guy philosophy most people need to understand. When you raise their effort and lower the reward, you discourage the attack. What visual deterrence do you have that when they drive by your home, do they see you have a security system? Do they see you have a dog in the back? Do you see uh, signs, stickers on your door? If you really create the illusion or the reality that there's going to be an alarm, that just checks you off the box on easy to get to, and they go to the next house. But then after visual deterrence, what kind of physical deterrence? Do you have locks on your door? Do you have deadbolts? Do you have security systems? Um, most people are not thinking, what happens if someone break into my house? They think I'm a nice person, I live in a good neighborhood. But they just need to realize that if you don't raise their effort, you don't lower the reward, then you do the opposite. You lower the effort to get into your home, you raise the reward, you encourage the attack. Mm -hmm. So there's property walks you can do, and I found out nobody did those. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, go do a property walk around the outside of your house right now, check every screen, see if it's cut, every window to see if you have pry marks, open up every door, check the strike plate for any tool marks, and if you do, that means someone's tried to break into your house before. Then take some clear nail polish and go over it, and when you check it every couple times a month, you're gonna really check and see if someone's trying to get into your home. Mm -hmm. Have you identified blind spots? Stand behind a tree, look into your house. Most people wanna stare at you when you're sleeping, watch you when you're in the shower, or watch you when you eat. Do you have blinds, shades? Um, what do you have, curtains? What are you projecting from the inside of your home outside? Some people have the lighting wrong. So there's a lot of things you can do to create a visual deterrent. None of these people that we interviewed over the year took two years to write the book, had those things. They had very limited visual deterrents. And then they didn't have a plan when it happened. Everybody hid in the home. Because you have a lot of, you know, there's a difference between logical reasoning and tactical reasoning. 
logical reasoning makes sense, so they do it. Someone comes in your home, hide. But a tactical decision is going to take consequence for actions into consideration. And if you can't get out of the house, then you got to pick where in your house you're going to engage that person or persons. A lot of home invasions, the majority of them happen with two or more people. Plus, you got a driver in the parking lot, you got someone watching the house, you got two or three people in the house. You got to put a plan together. You can't just wing it from the hip. So the exactly. book was written to give you a plan after every chapter, give you some drills to do with your family. Mm-hmm. And it was a basic entry. We only skimmed the surface. We didn't talk about using your guns. The next book will. We didn't talk about using knives, uh, making um, fire bombs in your home. Because most people don't want to ruin their home, mm-hmm. right? But if you're going to stay in the home, it means you got loved ones that can't leave. You got people on breathing machines. You got people that are hurt or injured. Uh, cognitive learning disabilities, handicap, whatever you want to, words you want to use, you have to stay in the home, so you're going to defend it. Right. That's why we titled it How to Defend Your Family and Home. And again, that's a great book. Uh, a lot of the topics that Dave just touched base is in that book. I highly recommend it, and I'm going to uh, do a screenshot here of Dave's book, How to Defend Family and Home. Um, you could buy it both on Kindle or paperback, right through Amazon, and in the comments below, I'll go ahead and paste a link to this. Um, so easy access to it. Dave, I want to thank you for uh, being part of the podcast today. Thank you for your leadership and all that you've done. You've been not only a good friend of mine, but you've been an outstanding mentor to me um, and my ability to do the the training. So I'm going to thank you for taking the time for being here. And uh, any last words? You know, um, whenever you think you're safe, step back and develop a plan for what happens. And if you can't answer, what do I do if this happens? Don't stop training. And you know, Training is a shared responsibility, so we need to keep everybody safe out there together. So thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you for listening. The Vantage Point Podcast comes out every week. If you have any questions, email us at info at or post a topic on our Facebook page. You can also leave a message with a request or your question at 414-377-4225. Again, thank you for listening. And join us next time on The Vantage Point. And remember, be aware, be prepared, survival through training.